0: He has an opportunity to be a very, very good player.
1: I thought I'd be real anxious and nervous, but I'm really not.
0: It is a weird time for a lot of guys. Me
2: and you don't get to decide who gets offended by what. Welcome to episode 12 of Digging In with J.P.R. and CBA. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne, and today is our trade deadline episode. It's a couple days late, but I think it's still in the ballpark. And today we are joined by Aaron Loop, formerly the Toronto Blue Jays' longest standing player. Uh, Now he's a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. He's going to talk to us about the experience of getting traded and the sort of the hectic day that that entails. But now we're going to start off by discussing what the Blue Jays did, moving Jay Happ, moving John Axford, of course, Loop, as we mentioned, and the big deal. Roberto Osuna for Ken Giles and a pair of prospects. So JP, where do you stand with what the Blue Jays accomplished at this sort of trade deadline season?
0: Uh I'm I'm kind of in between. I I think there was there's some things that if guys pan out, obviously. I don't see any prospects that kind of blow you away that the Houston Astros uh Paulino, pretty good pitcher uh ken giles i think he's got unbelievable stuff he's very dominant when he's on but the problem is is how often is that and you know he's a little bit of a head case as we saw uh before um so that's the one thing for me i I don't think that we won hector perez i looked up his stats he's got good stats so i think he's a guy who uh Will be a guy I think that could help us along the way. Like six seven, I think uh, was was what I saw how big he is. He throws hard and he's got good numbers. Um, I, I'm not I'm not too blown away with what with what we did. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't I don't think uh, that we necessarily landed anybody even from the Yankees. I, I mean I think that you know was it was it a great trade? I mean we got their 19th best prospect for you know a a rental you know we weren't going to get a ton you're not going to get the best picks right i think that you guys you're realizing and a lot of people are realizing that the for rentals guys aren't giving up a ton of stuff anymore because they're realizing how much value there are on the young players so i don't think that they're going crazy we talked about that before i think brandon drury has a chance but is he like a game changer for me I think it's kind of a C. I mean, I don't, I don't know how, where you feel, um, but I do know that I just nothing really blew me away. Um, Ozuna, I think the best thing that with the Ozuna, I don't know about the prospects, but I do think the best thing with the Ozuna is they don't have to deal with the headache anymore. So I think that in 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 essence is a win. But I just, I just again, these players, and listen, we don't know enough about these players. Even the guy from the Phillies. I can't pronounce his last name. It's something crazy like Wagga, uh, Wagga. Wagsback.
2: I don't like. I'm not even saying that that's right. Wagsback is yeah, my best well, guess.
0: I mean, he's his numbers are not that great. So is there something that they see that maybe they can turn around um, with a guy spin Raid or whatever the analytics? But again, I just, I just don't. I'm not over. I wasn't overwhelmed with what we got back.
2: Yeah, I think that for me, I was. The hap trade, I think I was a little bit disappointed in what the return was. I thought that Brandon Drury looks like one of those guys who's useful but not a difference maker, a guy who you can start, but maybe you don't want to be starting. I think if you're a really good team, you're probably not starting a Brandon Drury at third base. Now, the Jays aren't a really good team right now, so maybe he can start for them for a little bit, but I think he's more of that super utility guy, handy injury replacement So that's never super exciting to bring on a guy like that, even though they obviously have a use. And then, you know, Billy McKinney, he's a, you know, he's a hit or miss prospect quite a bit further down the Yankees prospect list, as you mentioned, and a former first round pick, but a guy whose shine has come off a little bit. I would be surprised if he makes a huge impact for this team, although we might see him down the stretch just because we might see a lot of people. Um, When it comes to Roberto Asuna, I was, I thought that they did very well in that situation just in terms of the return because Ken Giles under contract for two more years just like Osuna so you just slide him in is he as good as Osuna maybe not but no, when no. he's on no, no, when he's on 100% not okay he's not he's not but when he's on he's not as far off as some people think and maybe they can get a, a change of scenery get his head screwed on right and you know don't take a huge downgrade there and then bring on as you mentioned Perez and Polino couple of interesting arms. Again, are, are, like you said, there's no blue-chip prospects. There's no, like, sure thing, this is a guy that you pencil in for the future. But both those guys are interesting. You get rid of, as you mentioned, the, the sort of Osuna PR issue. You get rid of what that could do to a locker room. You wipe your hands of all of that, and you bring on a little bit of interesting talent and Osuna's replacement. So for me, that trade was pretty good. Axford and Loop. To be honest, you're not going to get a lot for those guys, and they didn't. Well, I'm not well surprised. yeah, but
0: no. But here's the thing: I was going to say copping. I think from the Dodgers, he's got really, really good numbers. Now, is he a guy that stuff jumps out to you? His stuff. I looked, you know, I said that he's a fastball slider guy, bullpen guy, but he's got a two ERA and he's had a two ERA in Double A AA and Triple A, and that's the whole year. So I think I think that guy was pretty good um in the sense of just going off of pure stats so i think that one actually might be a little bit better than than we know loops ah, and i think i'll tell you one guy who i'm who i'm on he obviously strikes out a lot and he plays in a in a friendly hitting park uh is is chad uh, spanberger he's a he's a a uh guy who went to the sec he was a, a big time player in the sec hits a lot of home runs won the home run derby um, he's he's hitting over 300 over 20 home runs already like he he's a guy who played in very high level in college baseball was very good in college baseball hit a ton of home runs he's got insane power uh, so he's a guy who again strikes out a lot but those are the kind of guys that are a high risk high reward right you might get a guy if he gets if he figures it out gets good development in the Blue Jays which I think obviously he'll get he could be a guy who's a 30 plus guaranteed 30 plus home run guy down the line it's again now in the minor leagues he's going to put up stupid numbers it goes in the big leagues is he going to put up those numbers so that's one guy too that i think that you know we're not really talking a ton about but i think he's he has an opportunity to be a very very good player it's a matter of okay aaron judge strikes a lot strikes out a lot in the minor leagues and figuring it out and continuing to strike out in the big leagues, but still hitting the home runs and producing. So I think that's one guy who could be kind of that, that kind of, you know, diamond in the rough.
2: Yeah. Spanberger definitely sort of that dark horse potential. I have to be honest. I don't like first base prospects in general, just because there's nowhere else to put them. So if they stop hitting at any level, it's like suddenly they're just nothing. Yep. So there's definitely a risk to him. He his worry is a little bit as the plate discipline. You mentioned strikes out a lot, doesn't walk a ton, but no one can deny that power. And so if he starts to figure things out a little bit more in terms of controlling the strike zone, he's an interesting guy. We, yeah, like you said, we didn't touch on the O trade, but also Forrest Wall, really good baseball name. I'm cheering for him just because it's a cool name and I love <laughs> it. Wall. Uh, yeah, he's Yeah, he's a former second baseman and then he had some arm injuries and they put him out in the outfield. He can run around in center field a bit. He's got good speed. So, you know, whenever a guy's playing a premium position, he makes some contact. That's interesting. His arm's still a worry, so he's probably not going to be gunning guys out from back there. But, again, he's another guy. Like, like we said before, there's no guy who you're like, we're going to pencil this guy in like Vladdy. Vladdy is the future of something on the Blue Jays, whether it's third 100%. base or it ends up first base. You pencil him in. Right yes. now you're probably penciling in Bo Bichette as a shortstop or maybe second base if that doesn't work out, but you're penciling them in. No one the Blue Jays got in this trade deadline is someone that you're like, okay, that is going to happen. But no. it could happen. No. And that's where you are with the seller. It's like you find guys who could be somebody, and maybe one of these guys hits, and that's really what they're well, yeah, looking for.
0: Yeah, we're at. And here's the thing, too, is is Donaldson is about to be ready at some point. so. The waiver wire is is obviously still an option, so I think that that's where they're going to have to kind of salvage that part. Is because the waiver wire still gives you an opportunity to to make an impact, Um, and I think he's a guy who is going to have to be pushed through the waiver wire. I've read a few things that obviously that you know that Atkins said that they would want him in the lineup. Uh, You know who doesn't want him in the lineup down the road or every day? Well, of course, but. Is he going to be a guy that comes back? Now, maybe there's something going on that we don't know of. Maybe they're talking about bringing him back and paying him some sort of money to bring him back and and that could be an option and that's why they didn't want to trade him, right? That could be uh, something. But I think him being hurt, I mean, he was the biggest opportunity to make an impact and get, and get really an impact player back because uh, what, what I was sad about is we have position players coming up. Name me big pitching prospects. We talked about this. And so that's where for me I was like, man, enough with the position players at the beginning. All we got was position players. I'm going, "Uh, what are we going to get pitching?" Because at the end of the day, as we see, what did the Yankees bolster up on? bullpen. And yeah, they they got pitching. And so obviously have too. Yeah, they got starting p- and, La- and Lance Lynn. Like let's let's yeah. they dude, they got pitching, okay? Like you, you look at these teams, what did Atlanta do? They went out and got a crap ton of pitching winning teams you have to have pitching and so for me I'm going damn it like we I wish we would have gotten if I would have not been upset if we got nine out of ten pitching prospects because a couple of those guys are gonna do something right like you would imagine that if they're prospects that good guys with good arms are gonna come up and have an opportunity but I just don't see unless in the offseason the plan is to go and get some arms or whatever just think about the pitching pro I was just talking to Carlos Villanueva right who uh, remember pitcher he's, now, yeah, swing he's man. now he's now he's now special assistant with the brewers and you know we were talking about you know they were they were in on a few guys and they wanted some pitching and but they were like dude our pitching prospects are so good in AA and AAA like big big time guys that dude next year if if it doesn't hit this year, next year we're like freaking there, and then that's for me that goes, dang dude, that's that's huge because you know that team is already good, and they're gonna be even better because they have those big time pitching prospects, right in the in the in the background. We don't really have that, and that's for me a scary thing because, as you as well know, and everybody, like yeah, the you you can hit homers and score a ton of runs, but dude, pitching wins, man. End of story. Pitching wins. And right now, name me anything. I mean, just we we need pitching. We need help.
2: Yeah, and if you don't have pitching, that's how you wind up being the Baltimore Orioles, right? So I before the trade for Osuna was made, I, I I felt the same way. I felt like they position players are always going to be a little bit safer, and I think that that was a big consideration because they're less likely to have their arms fall off and become useless. But I did feel like this organization could use some young arms and they didn't address that until the osuna trade a couple arms from houston now like you said donaldson august trade could happen estrada an august trade could happen if he put together a couple good starts clippard was the guy surprised that they didn't move i mean they again an august trade could happen but that one seemed a bit weird to me because there's no real yeah but what do you to get? holding on to him what do you Oh get? no, the same thing you get for axford the I same thing I you get for I loop like shot in the dark
0: I don't think so. You don't I, think so? I don't think with Clip. Here, here, look. Clip's my boy. I love him to death. He's having a good year. But, I mean, is Clip a guy that, that your playoff contending team, is Clip a guy that you want to hand the ball off to in a big situation, you know, compared to other options that were out there? I mean, listen. I'd, Klip, I'd
2: give it to him over Axford. He's having a better year than Axford. Yeah,
0: he's having a better year, but think about his track record later on. You know, like, the is Gives up, he's given up a lot of home runs. He's, I just don't think that he has. Here's the thing 96, 97 is sexier to get away with the trouble with, get away with it than 90, 92. And that's, oh, yeah. I'm just, that's just for me, speaking real. And again, I love Clip and I'm, I'm happy that he's having a great year and I think the world of him. But I also go, dude, you look at it, you look at him over the, over his last few years, the second half, he falls off really big. He has good first half. He falls off big, which I hope he doesn't. But those are things that teams are taking into consideration. And, again, if I have a guy that's throwing 90, 97 with a 92-mile-an-hour cutter like Axford, I mean, I, I, I'm i taking that over a guy that's throwing ninety ninety two 92 with a changeup. I, I, that's just my that's my thought. That's why I think teams – that's why I think that he probably didn't get moved is because teams are not going to give – much at all for that
2: I understand that rationale and I get why teams would be scared of Clifford especially with the the fly ball rates and the potential for home runs but the guy's been dancing on the edge of a knife his entire career he knows how to do it and I think especially if you had a bigger pitcher's parks and accommodate some of those fly balls I don't know I think he could be a good pickup for somebody I know that like take the Mariners for instance a, t- a team that plays in a pitcher's park with that humidity or yeah with the moisture coming off the ocean. So, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I suspect he ends up moving one way or another in August for not a significant return, but I was a little bit surprised they didn't end up getting anything for him.
0: Yeah, I just again, I don't think I don't think that that he's he's a guy that's going to going to get get much. And I and um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I again, he's having a good year and yes has he as he been there and done that. Yeah, but I just don't I don't see him getting anything uh in return for clip and you know hopefully he continues to go out there and have a good year and if he gets traded great if he doesn't then it'll give an opportunity for a job next year but I just think that there's one you're you're talking about somebody who still has a sexy velo and can still get away with mistakes and a person who literally cannot get away with mistakes and if he does it's gonna if he has a mistake it usually ends up in the in the crowd so um That's, uh, that's just me. But again, I I just, I was a little, the whole, I thought it was, it was, dude, I I feel like the Goliaths became bigger and then everybody else kind of, yeah, they they get it, they get stuff. But I don't, I don't see even the guy, I don't see that there was a ton of winners for selling teams. Like, I think that there was a, a lot of guys that were really good that got to other, to contending teams and that the other winning teams really didn't give up a ton.
2: No, and I think that's the way. That's the way the trend has been in the last few years. I mean, the the Archer trade's a little bit different because he's a guy with a lot of term. The prospects going back in we're, that one are great. bigger names, but great, yeah. But uh, but like you said, for pure rentals, that market has just it's faded in recent years. Teams are getting smarter. They're realizing that you know, giving away six years of a young player for two months of a veteran player is a tough pill to swallow, and so. I think we're seeing less and less of those big prospects. You know, ten years ago, maybe you see some of these top fifteen, top ten prospects shift, and nowadays it's just not happening.
0: No, and I, and again, that's why we had a had a great conversation with Villanueva. Was talking about his guys. He's like, man, we were after we were in a lot of trades, and they ended up we got beat out by some. But it was like, dude, we're not. We didn't want to give up. We know what we have as far as prospects in AA and AAA that are going to be our guys next year. We. We're just not going to give it up for a rental, dude. It's just not worth it. It's, and especially for teams like Milwaukee, teams that are smaller markets that are winning, they have to go with development. Like now, if you go Yankees, Boston, LA, like these teams, they don't give a crap. They just, they're all in, dude. It doesn't matter. The money is not a, like, it was funny because he was like, yeah, if you're Boston, you're a guy who you're literally developing players so that you can trade them because they're going everybody else is going to be a, a guy right but if you're a Milwaukee dude you have to be able to build up prospects because you need those guys to win and and I think that's a big part of it and, and again we're seeing more and more what the value of young guys like you said compared to you know these big old contracts I mean look look at the braves the braves just brought up another 20 year old starter. Another, I mean, they're, they're like the youngest. These these guys are going to be around on that team for years to come. That team's going to be good for the next however many years because all these guys are young. Soroka, they have that Allard kid who's 20 years old who just pit, made his debut a couple days ago. Dude, like, I'd, I'd much rather go with these guys. Look at the Rays. Look at the Rays young guys, like the Rays... Adam is and all these Bowers and, and all these guys. weirdly
2: uh, Tony Pham as well in an well, odd well that trade was that I didn't really understand but
0: well, well that one that trade was listen I, I again I'm a Tampa I played there I think that that the Cardinals completely won that trade because they just wanted to get Tommy Pham off the books because I know a lot of people are not very fond of that guy and and uh so I man I that's where I think analytics is going to hurt them and not understanding the dynamics of of character characteristics or excuse me makeup like character cuz again i mean not that i know him personally but a lot of people have had a lot of issues with him a lot of people are not very fond of him and so i think that one they kind of i think that one right there they got they got a, a player that's i don't know how it's, how it's going to work out for them
2: well that that's kind of what the rays have to do as a small market take shots on guys who are whose value's gone down for whatever reason. Our guest today, absolutely no makeup issues, known as kind of maybe the maybe the chillest blue jay you could possibly imagine, Mr. Aaron Loop.
0: All right, here with with my old pal, Mr. Aaron Loop, uh, newly Philadelphia, Philly um, Dude, talk to us about the whole, how this thing goes down. For I'm talking about just even in terms of vanilla. I never got traded. I never even knew how this thing worked. Like, how? Did, one, obviously the emotions and stuff like that about being traded. You were in Toronto. You were the longest tendered Toronto Blue Jay. And also, like, literally, how does it go down? Like, like just give it to me elementary school, how it all went down. Yeah,
1: uh, like you said, it was a crazy process for me, you know. I've uh, been a Jay since uh, day one, since nine and then
0: I called up in 12,
1: so uh, I've been in the big leagues the last, parts of the last seven seasons, so uh, it's, all, it's all I've ever known, so it's been a little, a little uh, probably going to be a little bit of a culture shock for me, but I knew going into this year, being, uh, being a free agent at the end of the season, that there was going to be a chance that I'd probably end up getting traded, if I pitched well, you know, and uh, I pitched well sometimes this year, and then I've, I've had rough passes too, but evidently somebody saw enough uh interest in me and and wanted to uh acquire me and uh yeah it was um uh, the the day of the deadline I was actually sleeping <laughs> ross Atkins woke me up called me uh he just said hey you know the the Phillies came out aggressively they wanted you and uh they made us an offer we couldn't pass up so uh they traded me away, you know they acquired some guys And, now I, I go from uh, a team that wasn't probably going to end up doing next this season, you know, but that I've been part of my whole career to, uh, to now kind of re-energize and in a playoff race and on a team that's, you know, young and enthusiastic and uh, looking like they're ready to, to do some damage. Do the
0: do the Phillies call you uh, on, you know, obviously the Blue Jays call you and tell you that you've just been traded and then... Then how does from the other team? How does that work? Do they, you know, did did uh, a reach out or or whoever in the front office reach out to you and then kind of tell you? I heard from everybody.
1: Um, I think it was uh, the the other team's GM called. You know, let let me know. Hey, you know, we'required you. We're excited to have you. You know, we're, we're looking forward to to getting you on team and we're going to need you. And then I, I literally heard from from every coach on the staff from. From Kepler to the to the bullpen coach to the the bench coach, the the hitting everybody text me, um, letting me know that they, they were welcoming me onto the team and and happy that I was going to be a part of it. And uh, so yeah, it was cool. You know, I got welcome from everybody, It made me feel really good, and and it got me really excited to be a part of the team.
2: Aaron, you can correct me on whether my research is wrong here, but as far as I have been informed. You were a really big Atlanta Braves fan when you were growing up. So how does it feel to be dropped into the tightest division race in baseball against the team that you grew up watching every day?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a crazy. I, you know, I watched the Braves. I never really got, I guess, caught up in so much as like the the teams they played against. It was more or less uh, my grandpa loved watching Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz. He loved, he loved watching those guys pitch. So that's kind of how I got wrapped up but it wasn't so much as the 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 dependent races and and all that but i mean it was more or less because that's what I, when i was growing up i mean i was always a pitcher i played the field too but the, the big part for me was always picking so he was always learning things from those guys and, and tried to teach me the same things as well so that was always was the main part of it but yeah it's definitely exciting you know to, to be a part of like you said the, the slightest race in the league uh, leagues right now and and uh, so it should be exciting. You know, I'm I'm pumped. I'm excited. I thought I'd be real, you know, anxious and nervous and kind of panicky, but I'm really not. You know, I'm really kind of relaxed and and uh, in a good place, which is a good thing to me. again.
0: Loopy, I don't know if I've ever seen you anxious or nervous. We used to always talk about it, and it was funny because it would be like, yeah, just got the ball, just like the not in a bad way, but the sloth going out there. I feel like you'd get nervous, more nervous. Catching a huge largemouth bass that you wouldn't have the line break, then uh, full count bases loaded, which is a good thing. But um, f- for me, obviously, this is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I remember hearing a story about you through the minor leagues that you almost kind of were done with baseball. And remember, I think they had put you over the top right then. They changed your arm angle or something like that, and and then all of a sudden you were getting kind of hit hit around a little bit, um, and then. You you went back to what you did and all of a sudden dude you're you're coming up in the big leagues and I'm going, Where the hell has this guy been? This guy's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I I gotten to the point where I kinda did raise him up a little bit, not not much. Um I was kind of a mid mid high three quarters when I first got drafted. They just brought me up just a touch and uh it didn't work well. You know, I was in low A at one point and I, I had a good overhang football like straight twelve six. And I was, I was punching everybody out, but then I ended up, for whatever reason, it, it kind of messed with my shoulder a little bit. I started getting a couple of impingements. And uh, once that happened, yeah, everything went south in a hurry. I was getting beat around the yard. I went into high the next year. I think I had probably like an eight and a half going into the all-star break. And then uh, Danny, the bullpen coach now for the Blue Jays, comes into town and and then, uh, Daryl knows the pitching coach I was on there in high. He's like, Hey, what you're doing right now is not going to play at the next level. He goes, Hell, it's not, <laughs> it's not playing at this level, you know? So they were like, Uh, so yeah, I guess I was on the on the brink of probably getting released, you know, at some point. I was kind of open at the time. They're like, Hey, you know, you ever tried like throwing sidearm? You know, you got a pretty quick horn. You ever tried, you know, dropping down and trying to throw sidearm? I said, I never really threw like exactly sidearm, but you know, I wasn't far from it when I got. Yes, you know. So I gave it a shot, and we ended up just running with it from right there. I probably it was in Dunedin, probably middle of June, and uh, I probably threw a forty pitch bullpen that day. And I was thinking, you know, you know, hey, I'm not just do forty pitches in the bullpen. side on for the first time ever in my life, I'm not going to be in the game today. So we were in um, the the Yankees' place down there in Tampa, for high, and they get they got a little painted triangle on that cement wall down in the bullpen. I bet you I threw 100 balls off that wall that game. And lo and behold, would you believe the seventh inning they called down again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so, yeah, go with. I have a 1-2-3 inning, some kind of way. I don't even know how. But, uh, yeah, ever since then, we just kind of ran with it. And then uh, I went to the fall league that year. Kind of pitched okay. Nothing really special. I was still kind of feeling, feeling my way through it. But then... Uh, I got off to a good start in double A the next season in 12. And then, um, you know, I mean, unfortunately for some other guys, they all had some injuries up there. And I happened to be pitching well at the time and and got a chance right there after the All-Star break in 2012 and just kind of took it and ran
2: with it. Aaron, uh, our listeners know that about halfway through these interviews, the questions go from uh, hard baseball to a little less serious. So I'm going to hit you with this. Everyone knows the difference between the American League and the National League is that the pitchers hit. I know you're a lever, so it's probably not going to come up too much, but there's more of a threat of it coming up. So, how do you feel about your hitting ability? I know you've taken one major league at bat. Maybe you can tell us about how that went, but how do you feel swinging the bat?
0: Oh,
1: boy. You know what? I kind of, when I first got called up, all I wanted to do was get in that bat, you know? But uh, once, <laughs> once that ship is sailed in, in Oakland you know, my, my only goal was to not punch out, and I kind of got that accomplished, and then I realized, okay, you know, I, I got no business being up there. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, at this point, you know, you, you know it may happen, but uh, probably I'm going to go up there with the same goal, just not to punch out. But, uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, it's not something I, I, I'm looking forward to or need to do anymore at this point. <laughs>
2: Aaron, JP tells me that you're a huge outdoorsman. He's referenced the bass already. Um, he calls me a mountain man. I think that's more on account of a lack of grooming ability than necessarily the lifestyle that I live. But I want to ask you when you're out in the sticks, and I think there's actually only one right answer to this question. But I'm curious to be what yours is. What is your number one snack when you're out when you're out fishing or hunting? What's the number one food item you got to bring with you?
1: Oh, number one snack. You know what? For whatever reason, when we are uh we make a week trip to the North every year, um, to bow hunt. And, uh, she usually we use it pretty good, but, uh, it's usually some form of little Debbie and, uh, and a Gatorade is in my backpack to survive through the morning. Uh, it could be anything from nut butter bars to fudge rounds to whatever, but yeah, she was usually, usually some type of little Debbie, maybe a pop tart, um, but yeah we usually welcome pretty the bad out there
0: <laughs> what well, and then and then aside from sa- snacks if you were going to give any listener out there that's a that's a bass fishing uh fan if you were going to tell them hey you got one lure that's the most universal lure and this is what you got to use and if, if you tell me a worm I'm gonna throw up, but I'll be okay with it. But then, if you get into the worm stuff, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to give me at least tell it. Give me the color. Give me the color of the worm. That's the most universal lure that you would tell somebody. Hey, go out there, jig this around, and you have a chance.
1: Uh I mean, if you want to have a chance for your worm, it's probably the best option. But for me, the the best way I like to catch them. Well, there's two ways. One, probably the number one way for me is a frog. I love catching a frog on top water. Um. I usually use a Spro popping frog. Um, that's my go-to. The other one, um, I guess, it would be similar to a worm. Again, yeah, I don't, I don't really care for soft plastics too much. But uh, so I usually go the the jig route. You know, the jig with a little uh, little crawfish trailer on there. I usually tend to get bigger bites that way. Not as many bites as I probably get on a plastic worm, but they usually bigger. So that's usually my uh, my two go-to's right there. Or a chatterbait. I like using chatterbait out too, but they usually shines a little more around uh, like vegetation.
0: Dude, I think we need to make an outdoor instead of Bill Dance. We're gonna have to have Mister Aaron Loop. Uh, would you be more nervous? All right, question. Would you be more nervous in the World Series uh, game? I'll, let's go Game Six, World Series. You on the mound facing? They bring you in to face a lefty with bases loaded, or you're one cast away from winning the Bassmaster Classic.
1: Boy you're telling me I got the big fish on the line to win the classic? What are you more nervous? Probably probably on the water. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Baseball, yeah, baseball doesn't seem to, to, to get to me too often. I mean, there's times it does, but I imagine the World Series would have some pretty some pretty good narratives, man. But I don't know if I got the winning fish on in the classic. I don't know. That's, I got to think that's going to shake me pretty good. And then it's just one on one, man, the you in the fish. When I'm on the field, you know, I can give up a rocket somewhere, and there might be somebody out there to catch you. There ain't nobody <laughs> else to be in the fish when I'm on the water. <laughs>
2: Oh, man. All right, Aaron, thank you for spending your time with us and enduring a couple of questions about fishing from guys from Toronto and Miami who probably have no idea what they're talking hey. about in the greater scheme of things. No,
0: no, no. I do. I do. I do.
2: JP claims
0: he yeah, does. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah, yeah I don't think sure, so. Though, yeah. I don't think so. I
2: haven't seen it yet. <laughs> until, until you see it, uh, I'm going to assume that JP's got no idea what he's doing on the water. You can send us confirmation someday <laughs> if you see it.
1: I will. Will
2: do. All right. Thanks for uh, coming on and uh, good luck with the Phillies. You got it. Anytime, guys. Thank you. All right. Aaron Loop, very much as advertised. A very, I think chill is the word I used on the way in. It's the word I'm going to use on the way out uh absolutely describes the man is are you were you lying to him or do you actually know how to fish
0: no i definitely know how to fish i mean i i told him the first thing is when he got traded to the phillies i texted him and i said hey tell erinola because erinola like dude this guy's like mega fisherman like in the spring training all he would do is finish he works hard does all his stuff leaves there late goes straight to the lake to go fishing for bass so I told him, I said, hey, make sure to break the ice. Tell Aaron Nola that to make sure that he remembers that JP's a better fisherman than, with, than him because we went fishing in the one time and I caught a bigger fish. So I literally still have the picture of it, of the fish because I always wanted to be able to tell him, like, hey, don't forget I caught a bigger fish than you. So he, he used to give me crap. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of skill to fish, but sometimes catching the big fish is just being at the right place at the right time um and I was happened to do it that day but dude Aaron Loop since the day he's come up in the big leagues and we used to always laugh cuz we used to be like dude this guy looks like he's asleep like there is no situation you, have you ever seen loop walk off the mound other than just like straight like like in the sense of like heart rate it looks like his heart rate hasn't moved it looks like he hasn't done anything like this guy He'll give up 40 runs or he'll strike out the side and he'll walk off like the same thing like, oh, well, you know, that is what it is. And you could hear by his demeanor. And I think that's also why he's been able to be a really good pitcher uh, in the major leagues and be successful. And even like I said, like, you know, we talked about there, because I do remember that he was having some struggles and and, you know, it's easy to question yourself when you have an eight ERA and high A. And then all of a sudden, he drops down, and he became Aaron Loop, and he's throwing 95 from down there. And he got up to the big leagues. And, you know, when he first got up to the big leagues, dude, guys didn't touch him. Like, this guy was one of my favorite pitchers to catch, which he still says, supposedly, I should have asked him, I forgot. But he says I'm still his favorite catcher that ever caught him. But, dude, he, every time he got it he came in. It was like you knew that he was just going to dominate whoever was hitting
2: yeah, I mean, being around the team, it just feels like Aaron Loop lived like a really just a really nice life. Like no one bothers him. He's the like the left-hander in the bullpen. Like I remember going up I was working on a story about Joe Biagieni and I was asking guys in the bullpen about him. And I went up to Aaron Loop and he's like he's bewildered that someone is coming to talk to him. He's like, "What are you like what are you here for, man?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm here to talk about BG." He's like, "Oh, all right." But, like, he wasn't mad or anything, but he was just, like, in his life, no one bothers him. He just sits there at his stall, and then he comes out to face two guys once every couple of days, and he makes good money doing it, and it feels like, you know, there's a lot of people who are living a more
0: stressful life than Aaron Loop. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But no doubt. Here's You want to know something, too, though, about Aaron Loop, honestly, and this is where uh, people don't realize, is you talk to him, he'll tell you a lot of the reason he's had the success he's had is because of Darren Oliver, because of Darren Oliver being there for him and teaching him the ways. I mean, and that's where I think that a lot of these things, people don't realize um, the value, you know, he put up good numbers, but a Mark DeRosa or these veteran guys that can set the tone, their, their stat their stat numbers may not be great, or the, but the experience that these guys can bring to somebody And again, Aaron Loop, he he will be the first person to tell you that he's in the position he is and the success he has because of Darren Oliver.
2: So in that interview, you touched on this, which is our memory lane for today, that you never got traded, but there was a trade deadline that we talked about where you did have some questions about whether you might be on the move. So let's talk about that and what it feels like to be a player who thinks maybe they'll be on the move. Which I mean, we touched on that with the expert Chris Archer last week, but what was that experience like for you?
0: Well, I mean, honestly, it was a it was a weird time in the sense of it was 2010, really the one time that I thought that it was an opportunity because John Buck was an All Star that year, and I was on pace for 40 plus homers in AAA, and um, I remember them telling me that Seattle had a you know was Seattle was after me. I, I remember a scout. I forgot before a game. Told me like, "Hey, dude, we're trying to get you pretty hard." And I remember hearing that and going, "Oh, okay, that's cool." But I honestly, I think when you're in the minor leagues, you know about it, but it doesn't feel as prevalent. If that makes sense, like it just didn't feel as as like I don't know. I don't as big as it it would be, right? Like I think in the major leagues, you're in the major leagues, you've made it, like. Holy smokes, dude. You're in the big leagues. Like, this is the pinnacle of, of baseball. And I think moving uh, from there might have been a bigger, ju- more uh, drastic change um, in that sense. Cause I, I just don't remember. I just remember being at the trade in like, oh, yeah, sweet. If it happens, maybe it's a good thing. You know, John Buck's having a great year and maybe they'll bring him back and, you know, I'll have an opportunity to go somewhere else and be a guy. I remember Texas was after. And then, and then, uh, in my career, early in my career, there was some there was some thought behind it. I I remember reading, but I think that anytime you're a young player on a team and you're controllable and you've had you know early in my career, my you know, rookie year, I hit 23 homers and drove in 75. So I mean, I you know for a catcher, I was pretty good. Um, so I think that that was always going to be an option, but I really never I really never bought into the trade talk because I never. Maybe again, I think this could have hurt me in my career. I never thought as highly of myself as I probably should have, um, which inevitably kind of hurt my confidence over time. Um, but that's why I don't think I ever really looked into it uh, as much as I could have or should have or whatever, or even even felt that. But um, it is a weird time for a lot of guys, man. And I couldn't imagine, you know, I was young. You know, imagine these kids, these guys have wife, they have kids. You know, now all of a sudden, your your kids have made. I mean, I remember. Do you remember? Uh, I want to say it was Jhurubel Cabrera who got traded, who got who got traded, and he went from uh, one team to the other, and his son was like dying, like crying, like go, like hysterically crying about it. And you know, these kids make all these these friendships and the wives and all that stuff. So I think more than anything on those kind of guys, it's got to be tougher because. It's not as much as just getting up and going, right? It's like, holy smokes, I have a family. My family has connections here. We have connections. Um, it's a whole life change.
2: Yeah, and there's a couple of things there. One, I think that the fact you were in the minor leagues when this circled around you the most is an interesting thing because in the major leagues, people ask, it, ask you about it every day. Like I remember Joe Smith last year. It was just so inevitable that he was going somewhere. He was just the kind of reliever that people always want. He was on a one-year deal. The Jays had a bad record. I would just, I'd watch people go ask him about it like every day about the trade thing. I just thought how much tiring that must be. So luckily, I guess for you, you didn't have to go through that. And then you mentioned the families. It was Jay Happ's wife tweeted out about how, like what it affects their family and her daughter losing friendships and stuff. And it's really a part of it that trade deadline is so exciting for the fans and i'm sure front offices and whatnot but there is that aspect of it as well that's you know it's serious business for the families maybe even more so than the players because the players kind of like okay i've got a job to do i'm going to do this so the families are like well now we're in wherever and like like that's why adam jones didn't want to leave baltimore it's like i have my rights i got my 10 and 5 rights you can send me to contender, but this is my life. I'm going to live my life here. Like, it's not up to you. I earned those rights. And I I really respected him for having that stance.
0: Well, you, you know, what's funny that you bring that up is I actually, we texted back and forth about that, me and me and Adam Jones. Because I actually, Adam Jones for me is, and I told him this, he is probably the greatest leader I've ever played with in the sense of this guy posts every single day. I mean, think about it. This guy plays all the time. This guy he, he is a guy who runs the ball out. Like he, dude, this guy plays the game the right way. Like if you, if I told somebody, hey, you know, or asked somebody, somebody asked me, hey, who do you think? I'd say Adam Jones because of the way he went about it, man. This guy, like, he walks the walk and he talks the talk. Like he is, and so I think one thing that the the Orioles did wrong in conversation is. Dude, they approach them at the last second like, hey, this is what it is. This is what it is He's like. Dude, there's been no communication, which I, which I don't understand. And then so, of course, they're not in communication. What does it matter? And at the end of the day, for these guys, we've talked about this. Like, dude, it's a business. And the more that you understand that it's a business and you go like, F you, dude. I'm not. I'm not gonna just because he's been getting a lot of heat from fans and stuff like that because oh, yeah. he didn't want to. Big he time. didn't. And it's like, and it's like, dude, what do you mean? Oh, it, oh, it's his fault. Like, first off, I think Adam Jones was an 80 million dollar deal. That was a huge bargain with the numbers that he's put up. So f all of you in the sense of giving him crap because this guy does everything off the field. You see how much money he brings in for charities and different things he he's with the community he does all these different things and because he doesn't because he has a home because he has two boys and a wife that are there and they're comfortable and he's happy where he's at and he wants to stay status quo now he's the bad guy like it doesn't make sense and that's where for me sometimes and i think that he's he is really good at it and i think i was again i was bad at this and there's a lot of guys that are good at it is you you have to give two flips what people think at the end of the day because One way or another, fans are going to hate you. Some people are going to love you. But at the end of the day, when when season's over or baseball's over or whatever, how many people are really going to be there? So do what you need to do for yourself, man. And that's the bottom line. He has to take care of himself. And again, I'm happy. And I'm glad you brought that up because we had that conversation, me and him. And I said, and I texted him this. I said, man, F everybody, man. F everybody. I wish I cared less about what people thought during my career. You need to do what adam jones needs to do and he understands that very well and that's why he said no i'm not gonna i'm not going anywhere
2: yeah the idea that adam jones owes anything to the baltimore organization so that they can get whatever prospects you get for him again we talked about rentals probably wouldn't even be franchise changing or anything like adam jones doesn't owe them anything and he's done everything like you said on the field off the field so if he wants to stay where he is Like, I think he even said in his comments, like, the union fought for me to have these rights, and I'm going to exercise these rights. Absolutely. Like, that makes 100% sense to me.
0: 100%. But it takes, but honestly, it takes a person that understands that and really, I mean, can be strong enough of a person, of a human, to be able to, because it's not easy, man. Especially once you start, you know, people are going to be all over you. Fans are going to be all over you. You know, even organization. I'm sure front office is probably not happy because they're like, you know, is what it is. But dude, at the end of the day, you know how much wealth that guy has brought to that organization. They've they've been winning, and he was a huge part of winning. And and why people love the Orioles. I mean, he's a big part of that, dude. He's a big part of that that organization having success. So good kudos to him, man. Because not a, a lot of people would fold and be like, oh yeah, whatever. Blah, blah, and then then they're not as happy, dude. And at the end of the day. We've been around enough players in my lifetime. I-, I talked to this with Ricky too about this. Romero. How many guys made millions, hundreds of million dollars are miserable, man? There is no price to be paid for happiness and contentness. And that's where he's at. So F everybody else.
2: All right. So our outside the nest today. We're gonna I'm gonna pull back the curtain on this show a little bit because I'm gonna say that. Normally, one of the things to JP's credit is that he's willing to talk about pretty much anything within his own career outside baseball, but rarely does he come to me and say, here's something that I really want to talk about. Um, but he did the other day, and we're going to talk about the, the players and their tweets in recent days. Sonny Gray is the latest one to have tweets dug up from when they were a lot younger that had offensive content and things like that. So, JP, I'm going to open the floor on what you think about these issue and how these players have been treated in in light of these tweets that have come out.
0: Well, listen, man, I, and I and I've seen people also players write stuff like everybody everybody messes up in life, dude. Everybody has issues that they've had to fight and they've people have been brought up in certain ways, dude. It, like yes is it terrible what's been said is there no room for that yes all those things are correct but also you don't know these people's backgrounds and you don't know the things that they've been through and you don't know the areas that they've grown up with i mean there's racism goes all different kinds of ways you know i I grew up in in a in a melting pot right i've seen it all in miami florida and people when you're young sometimes not sometimes when you're young you don't understand the gravity of the things that you're saying Especially when you're a young kid and you think it's funny to say these certain things and, and which it's not funny and it, and it's not right and there, there's things that you should never say and shouldn't be accepted to be to be said. But for people to for, for reporters now to have this thing that they want to go back into a, a young kid's Twitter, and to pull that out, and a person that has to be at an all star game answering these questions, or a person that just finishes almost a no hitter. I think there's a lot of malicious intent on what's being done. Now, do people have to go back in their Twitter and 100% go, dude, I need to erase these things? And because, listen, at the end of the day, these guys aren't the same guys that wrote that. They're not. They're, they're, these people have learned. And, and again, a lot of times I've heard kids say things. I've been around little leagues. I've, 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 done academies all these different things i've heard kids say things that are that are not things that they should be saying but these are kids and they don't understand the gravity of it so when they're writing that stuff as kids now again should they have written it no all these i I don't agree with any of the things that are said but to go and to to have this and throw this in their face to act like this is what that person actually is now is a joke, man, and it and it pisses me off because this is a world that we live in. Is like, how can we bring down the person? How can we how can we shit on somebody? How can we th- and it's like, dude, stop, man? Stop. Have a conversation. Hey, what do you got on this? Well, no, I I should have never wrote that. I should that should shouldn't be there. That's not who I am. People grow, man. How many people in life do you know that have lived a perfect life and have said everything that they've needed to say correctly and been politically correct and not say something they haven't said? All of them. We've all made mistakes. We've all we all f up, dude. That's that's life. We all have done shit that we are not proud of. Now, but to we all grow from it and we all learn from it. But to go back to these kids and then try to bury them on, on trying to make them seem like oh they are th- this is what they are now. F off, dude. F you. Go fly a kite. I, I. You're right. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said that. Those things are. They. They're not right. But, I think it's for me. I think it's is. It's embarrassing that these are the people who are trying to go and pull up because what I think is is just to get their leg forward to get a little bit of notoriety. These these riders because they damn well know that these guys aren't what it is. Same exact reason why that that hater, all his teammates came out. Black, white, Latin, all that stuff, and said, no, he he's, we've, we support him. He's not like that. It's just, it's its asinine to me. I think it's its obviously now players are have to go back and make sure all the things that they wrote, which, again, they should have never written in the beginning, but, again, you know that there's stupidity from young kids when they do these things, and they don't know the gravity of it, and it's not who they are today. So, yeah, take it and run. Get your little bit of, of fame, whoever wrote it. But you're a piece of shit.
2: Okay. Uh I'm gonna I got three points for you. One is I, I agree on th- in terms of the writers. As someone who is in that position, in theory I could go and I could search, I don't know, Randall Gritchuk's Twitter. I've I've looked at it. It's pretty like down the middle. I don't think there's anything there. But whatever. I could I, I just came up with the first white guy on the blue jays that came to mind. Randall, it's not personal. I could search Randall Gritchuk's Twitter. What if I found something blah blah blah. I think that when journalists are doing this with, say, politicians, I feel like that's important because people need to know everything to make an informed decision to vote or something. But these are baseball players. I don't think the public needs to know everything about every detail about their lives. And so for that, like you said, it this, the digging does seem like there is a bit of a maliciousness to it. Like it's a bit of a gotcha type of deal where... They're looking to find something because they think something will make a splash, not because it's something that people need to know. My second thing for this is that there is another victim here that's important to talk about, and that's the fans of teams who feel affected by this. Like, say, if you're a Brewers fan and you're black or you're gay and you have you watch Josh Hader and you cheer for him a lot of times, and then you see that these are things that he said, and reasonably that's going to change the way you feel about him, And so there's a lot of talk of baseball trying to be inclusive. And when people see that baseball players have said things like this, even, as you said, at a very young age, I feel like those fans are really let down. And the people who want to enjoy baseball are let down by their players, those people who could be their heroes, potentially, and those role models. The important thing is that me and you don't get to decide who gets offended by what. You know what I mean? Like, that's where... That's the... that's where I'm with at uh, with it. So like, I think some guys have come to the fence of these players and these guys have changed yada, 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 but it's not for me, a position as a guy who's white and straight to say, you know what? You shouldn't be offended by this because this guy said it X years ago. Like, if, you, uh, if those words hurt you because of what you've experienced and who you are, it's far be it from us to say you should not be offended. So that's what I just wanted to say that. Fans who feel hurt by those words have the right to feel hurt and are victims in this.
0: No, oh, 100%. They should feel, they should be upset about those kind of comments. And again, I, I said this from the beginning and I'll continue to say it throughout the thing. All of those comments, there's no room for them in the world. Period, end of conversation. There just isn't. That's not the way it should be. And, and it's not acceptable. But also understanding that, dude, this guy, this guy probably has a greater understanding now of all those things that from what the person that said it before. So there should be growth. That's the, that's what it is. This, this entire world is continuing to grow. And although it seems like we're in a world that however, whatever it's getting separated, these people are growing. And I'm telling you one thing in baseball, these people are having to grow and they're having to understand because a lot of these kids are coming from places they sign at a high school or this or that, and they don't know. But when you get into pro ball, you see every part of it, dude. You are around every nationality—white, black, Asian, whatever you want. Whatever you are, you are, and everybody's loved. It, regardless if you're if you're white, black, straight, gay, whatever it is, we love you. Come on on our team. All we want to do—we have a common goal—that's to win. And I'm not worried about what you do outside of the field and all that stuff, dude. But it's it's again, I think that. There, a lot of it, unfortunately, I think that a lot of it is for these writers to try to get, make their, their little shock jock value. And that's what they're doing. If, if there was a true purpose in them doing this, there would go about a different way. And I do think that now, again, this is something that has to be addressed in general is, is being able to the world. And I think, and I hope kids see this and I hope kids learn from this is to be able to go, Hey, Hey. This is unacceptable man this is was not the world we live in anymore of, of how it used to be so i think that we have to continue to to grow and have people learn man because if not we, if we the whole thing of life is let's try to be better today than we were yesterday and i i think that's that's it in general but i think for me what bothers me is it's not it's not these writers that are going hey let's write this story so that we can get the word out and be able to make sure that these guys learn and have people learn from this and, and change the world. These people are writing these stories with malicious intent to try to to try to get the, the shock value. And that's what bothers me. Let's, let's make sure we make these things something that are educational and will go about it the right way, not trying to just bury somebody. And that's what, it's, that's what they're doing, dude.
2: Yeah, and I hope, like I said, I feel like it's things that people don't particularly, the public does not need to know, in a sense. So they're they really are going after headline. Um, I do think that hopefully, like you said, there's something educationally taken from this. I worry that you know the way people perceive baseball is going to be affected by this. I worry that people will feel like uh, you know there's probably players in the league right now who are gay, who are in the closet potentially, or players who are coming up. I hope that it doesn't change the way they feel about how they might be accepted in baseball. I understand why it would. Um, but I think hopefully people learn and also less on a less moral, on a more practical idea. I hope people learn that Twitter's a public forum and don't tweet every stupid thing that comes to your mind. Cause when you're 15, that, you know, we're now seeing that can come to burn you. So Like I don't understand. It's a generation kind of behind me and you, JP, that sort of puts every little thing that they think of online. But people need to be smarter about what is said in public. And I'm not saying that, oh, they should say these things in private because we've both agree these are horrible things. But in a general sense, people need to be a little bit more aware about what is public and what is private.
0: Again, I think I just think the intent what pisses me off is not what's what they're saying about them not that should be wrong and that what they said was wrong 100%. I agree. What pisses me off is that now it seems like to me what journalists are doing is they're going, "Oh, I'm going to go and check out every Twitter of every single player and I'm going to go as far back as I can to see what kind of stuff I can pull up so that I can have some kind of a headline." And that's a big thing. You know, like that's for me what i think is is a joke it should be about let's go let's educate these people let's let's not try to catch these people and something to bury them let's let's talk about it and be able to understand hey well, this is what this is how it makes people feel this is this is how it makes these are the words that hurt how can we get better how can we improve how can we better be better friends people but i that's my that's my problem is that's i truly believe that that's how these journalists are going about it and i think it's i think it's shitty man
2: all right, we're going to finish up today the way we always finish up, which is with a little bit of JP career trivia. I have a feeling right now, so you're sitting at 20 for 34. Uh, you know, it could be better, but you've definitely dug your way out in the last few weeks. It's been a lot better than, uh, than we've seen during your mid, mid-season slump, we'll call it. Uh, this one's just a simple one just for one point, but it's just a kind of a statistical quirk that I found doing some digging. So the question is this, and then we can kind of talk a little bit about the answer. Who is the pitcher that you faced most times in your major league career?
0: Pitcher that I faced most times in my big league career. Ooh, geez, Louise.
2: So let me give you a clue. I don't know if this clue is going to help, but the reason I thought this was interesting, you faced this pitcher 46 times the next highest pitcher on the list, you faced 27 times. So it's not even close.
0: Uh, maybe Jeremy Hellickson?
2: Jeremy Hellickson is incorrect. Jeremy Hellickson is actually third on the list, 26. The answer is John Lester. You faced John Lester 46 times. Oh. Did not do great against John Lester. 182 batting, 217 OBP, 364 slugging, couple of home runs, 18 strikeouts, two walks. Not ideal, but I just wanted to get your memories of John Lester and what it's like to get that familiar with a pitcher who I guess you didn't remember you'd seen way more than anyone else, but you did see way more than anyone else.
0: Well, get familiar. Obviously, I didn't get familiar. <laughs> I hit a buck 82 off of him, so there wasn't, very, it wasn't a very familiar at bat because obviously I didn't get to figure him out. But um, no, he was a guy who's tough, man. He, he has a really good cutter. And he just, it's a pitch that if he locates correctly, he can tell you it's coming and you're not going to do anything with it, which is why he's been so successful as well, because everybody knows what he's going to do. It's just really, really hard to to be able to combat. And so uh, he's just, I remember hitting a home run off him w- one time and I was like, holy smokes, I don't even know how I, how I hit that pitch. It was a curveball. So I remember that one and then I just remember I did have a, a decent game against him in Boston and it was because I finally prepared for him in the sense of like I was like you know what I'm not going to keep chasing this cutter it's it's either a ball or I can't hit it so I'm done with it I'm not I'm just going to look out over the plate and anything in I'm going to take and he threw me a couple cutters in and I took it and there were balls and I remember him kind of having a look on his face like what the heck why is he taking these pitches because I always swing at them and then you know, I, I forced him to throw the ball out over the plate, and I hit a three-run homer off of him. And I think, you know, that was uh, one of the good my good games against him that I had a, a couple good at-bats. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say familiar, and I would say that the guy is really dang good, and he is really tough to hit. And obviously, I didn't have much success against him, so I don't know the familiar part. But it was always fun to compete against him because I knew that it was always going to be a tough day. But I, you know... He definitely won that battle. And I feel like, even in general, you're going, you, you, my average career average is a little higher than that. But the 18 strikeouts to two walks sounds pretty familiar. Uh, so I think that that's kind of probably the case for all the pitchers.
2: We talked about this a little bit uh, with Clay Buckholt before, who is a guy who wore you out. When you get a guy like Lester, does it just seem like sometimes those guys show up more often? I was like, oh my God, it's John Lester again.
0: No, I never felt like that again about him because he was a lefty. So I kind of... I mean, I really wasn't ever... I guess maybe that thought wasn't in my mind. But at the end of the day, like, you just knew that it was going to be a battle. And uh, again, I remember one time in Boston, I was like, dude, just stop. Why? That's kind of like somebody going, hey, the stove is hot. He's going to throw you a cutter in. The stove is hot. Don't touch it. He's going to throw you a cutter in. Don't swing because you can't hit it. And so... It's like you burn your hands enough and you break enough bats and you suck enough that you go, well, stop freaking swinging at that pitch because you can't do anything with it. And that's, and you know, towards the end I was able to have better at-bats against him, so it was kind of a fun learning experience for me, but he, obviously he's still doing it at a high level.
2: All right, eventually JP learned to stop touching the stove, which is good because he's 32 now, so it's about time to learn those life lessons.
0: Yes, Uh, If the stove is red, do not touch it.
2: All right, that's it for us for episode 12 of Digging In with J.P.R. and Sevia. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and download on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast uh, delivery system is. We'll see you next week.